Hey everyone, welcome to Take a Second, a weekly Come Follow Me podcast meant to strengthen our personal connections with Jesus Christ, as well as deepen our appreciation for His role in our Heavenly Father's universal plan of salvation. I'm Brian Ricks, and Stuart Black is here with me. Thanks for joining us, and let's get into uh, let's get into this week's scripture block. Acts 22 is a really good example of what happens when you put chapters into the book of script into scriptures. I think it happens sometimes in the Book of Mormon. It becomes really obvious that those books weren't necessarily written with chapters in mind. Those chapters are added later. Same with the verses and chapter headings. So chapter 21, where we ended last week, ends with Paul getting beaten nearly to death. And the end of the chapter, verse 40, the very last verse says, and when he had given him license, Paul stood, so remember, the Roman guards have to come down. They break up the mob. They have to carry Paul. He's beaten so badly. They've got to carry him out. They get him up onto the steps, and Paul stops, speaks to them in their tongue, in Greek, and they're like, whoa, who's this, you know, this Who is are a you? Jew. <laughs> Who are you? And then he turns around, and he starts speaking, verse 40, and when he'd given him license, so when the Roman soldiers gave Paul the opportunity to speak, he goes back to the stairs and he's, he starts talking to his, his, his mob, to his would-be assassins. And then he starts speaking to them in the Hebrew tongue. And, verse, and chapter 21 ends with saying, comma. This is a great example of how the scriptures weren't necessarily written in chapters the no. way we have them. And, and if we treat the scriptures as a chapter, sometimes we lose the power. We lose this mob scene of Paul being beaten. And if we close the book last week on Acts 21, and then we open it up to 22, and it just starts men, brothers, and fathers, we forget who he's talking to, and we forget the fact that he's bloodied and beaten, and, and, and the men, brother, and fathers he's talking to are the men that were about to take his life. So keep that in mind. You kind of lose some of the impact of, of chapter 22 if you forget chapter 21. Yeah. Um, I love the fact, I love his, his way of addressing them. I, I, with our kids, if you put it into the context, ask your kids or your class, you know, what three descriptors would you use in addressing your mob? <laughs> you know, I, I don't know that it's men, brethren, and fathers. But he, he appeals to what's important to them. Mm -hmm. To the Jews, this idea of a brotherhood, uh, a, a brotherhood in, in religion, in, in, in family, this idea of fathers... He appeals to those those characteristics or those titles that would have been most important to them. And then, verse 2, when they heard that he spoke in the Hebrew tongue, uh, they kept more silence. Now, remember, they don't speak Hebrew necessarily. What most of them probably speak is Aramaic. But Hebrew is the scripture language. This would have been the language of the educated. This would have, Those that were schooled in the scriptures, this would have been their language. And now, all of a sudden, Paul's speaking, them, and this would have gotten their attention. And this is... That group who would understand Hebrew is probably the ones who are persecuting him the most and beating Absolutely. him the most. And yep. so he's pricking their conscience, mm -hmm. so to speak. And, and you remember back in, you know, there's a lot of persecution for the apostles, for the servants of the Lord in the book of Acts. Um, Stephen does the same thing. He, he's teaching the people who know all about Moses, Moses. Moses. Yep. <laughs> and, and there's something that I'm sure that they're trying to um, pull on their heartstrings. And then not only that. But to you know, get a little mercy for themselves, but also to, for them to make connections with what they already know. That he's saying, like the scriptures and the the words of the Jews. He says this is going to add to what you, um, the things that he's teaching about Christ can add to what you already have. He's trying to say, like, listen, I grew up Jewish, I grew up a Pharisee, and he mentions that all the time, and he always uses the scriptures then to back up Jesus, and he uses his background to testify of Christ, and I love. I love that that's why, part of the reason why the Savior chose Saul to do these great things. Yeah, you can definitely see, there's no question that it's moments like these where the Lord's saying, you're a chosen vessel. Mm -hmm. this, this is why I chose you. This is why I couldn't, I couldn't put Peter in this, because Peter's background doesn't have the same draw to it. Yeah. Um, I, I'm fascinated with the fact that if Paul's trying to defend himself, he's doing a really bad job. <laughs> Um, because instantly his defense is, his defense is to tell him, is to explain his testimony as to why he's not with them anymore. Let me, I'm going to tell you about the time. This is, this is my conversion story. 
This is why I'm preaching Christ. Um, and I, it almost has a sense of uh, Alma the Younger to me a little bit. You have, the, you have the experience of Paul back in Acts 9, just like we have the experience of Alma the Younger at the end of Uzziah. And then when you get to Alma 36, Alma the Younger is now tell, retelling his story to Helaman and, and adding some details to it. And, and you get this same instance. I, I find it fascinating that you get the same experience now here with Paul. Paul's going to tell the experience from his perspective in a teaching setting where he's going to emphasize some things maybe a little differently than he did back in, in 9. Um, and, and he does it again in Acts 26. He yep. retells his conversion retells story again to, to Agrippa and to, uh, Festus. Festus. And so that, um, the, you know, for members of the church, it's a pretty easy comparison to um, make that uh, connection to Alma in the mm-hmm. Book of Mormon and also to Joseph Smith. Yep. Um, the, you know, the, the four different uh, firsthand accounts that Joseph gives and, or gives the scribes to write down uh, he writes down one and then uh, th- scribes through three others. And then five other um, secondhand accounts of other people who heard it and then wrote it down themselves. Mm-hmm. And so y- you can read all those those uh, those vision accounts side by side and you get different things. I just listened to a great uh, podcast, uh, the Joseph Smith Papers. There's oh, seven or eight yeah. episodes about uh, – they do a bunch of different ones, but one of them was the first vision accounts, and they kind of set the scene and give a full circle surrounding that event and talk about the, the – uh, why would Joseph emphasize this in, in 32 compared to why would he emphasize this in 38 compared to why he would emphasize this in 42? And so you go through the different years and you're like, hey, what was going on in the church in Joseph's day? What was going on in his life And when he's writing this account? And okay, they've been mobbed and they're facing all this stuff with Missouri and that's why he's emphasizing this. And it's a fascinating thing to look at. And it's the th- same thing with Paul here. Why is he emphasizing these parts of the details? Why is he reiterating this to a group of people who don't believe him? Well, the core of every one of the things doesn't change. Same with Joseph. Yep. Uh, he saw a vision and th- the Lord spoke to him. Well, that's exactly what Paul is trying to reinforce to these people. Is he's, he's saying, like, listen, I grew up Jewish and I know that Jesus Christ lives. Mm-hmm. I, I love the fact that starting Hebrew, in fact, he, he says, look, I was... I may not have been born. You may look at me and think I'm a Roman because of where I was born, but I grew up here. I, I studied the feet of Gamaliel. And I taught the perfect manner of the law of the fathers and was zealous towards God as you are this day. That's an interesting thing. Paul's saying, I, I know exactly why you're beating me. Mm-hmm. I felt the way you felt. And let me create this common ground because I've been there. And then he said, in fact, verse 6, I was on my way to Damascus to do what you're doing. Mm-hmm. And at noon, suddenly there shone from heaven a great light round about me, and I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying unto me, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And I answered, Who art thou, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom thou persecutest. Um, later in the chapter, it's, there, it's really interesting that the people listened to him until he said, the, uh, a word uh, verse 22 it says they gave audience unto this word well, what's the last word he speaks up in verse 21 it's gentiles it, i find it interesting that it's not he has them captive all the way he, through his story about the savior it's not it's not necessarily the savior that has these people thrown um he, up in verse 17, he says, I came, when I came to Jerusalem, after, after having had my experience, I came to Jerusalem. I was in the temple. I, was, I, I went into a trance. Paul's a visionary person. And then verse 18, and saw him saying unto me, make haste and get thee quickly out of Jerusalem, for they will not receive thy testimony concerning me. And I said, Lord, they know that I am imprisoned. I beat, I beat him in the same guy. 20 when the blood of thy martyr Stephen was shed, I was holding his coat. I was holding the coats. I consented to his death. In verse 21, the thing that offends them the most isn't, I find this really interesting. It's not Jesus. It's what Jesus is going to do for the other children of God. And he said to me, depart for I will send thee far hence unto the Gentiles. The Jews are, they're, they're listening about Jesus, but when they hear that Jesus is going to take the covenant and give it to the Gentiles, that's when they're offended. Right. And I, 
I think it's so fascinating. This story lines up, and you mentioned this in verse 20, that he says, I kept the raiment of them that slew him. And then in 23, it says, as they cried out and cast off their clothes. There's got to be a little bit of a flashback for Paul here. Mm -hmm. When the people start removing their clothes, and I don't know if they're handing them to somebody else, and Paul's like, I've seen this happen. I know where this I is going. I literally know. And, and, and I've, I've thought, because Paul gets persecuted so much in the book of Acts, and I've, I've thought, he doesn't get mad. Yeah. He doesn't get mad at these people. And I, I, you know, I, as I've thought about that, my only thought can be he understands why, where they're coming from. Yeah. Why, why is it that he doesn't come unglued at every time they're throwing rocks at him and kicking him out of cities and trying to arrest him and trying to kill him? It's got to be because he's like, I know exactly what they're thinking. They're just misunderstood. Don't you think this goes, I, this calls I, another another similarity to the prophet Joseph Smith. Joseph Smith, I, you think about him in Hiram, Ohio. He and Sidney Rigdon are drug out of the house. Sidney's drugged by the horses. Joseph is tarred and feathered. They chip his tooth trying to force poison down his the, and the very, so they And they stay up all night trying to get the tar and the feathers and his skin is raw and bleeding in some spots. Part of his scalp, there's hairs coming hair, out. Yeah. And the next morning, Joseph goes and he preaches with members of the mob in the group and he preaches forgiveness. Mm-hmm. And, and it, you ask, how can, how can you do that? And you remember Joseph said, if I hadn't had the experiences I had, I wouldn't believe me either. Believe it, yeah. And some of that is this, I, I, I think we talk a lot about Christ-like characteristics, and there's no question that love is the greatest of those, right? And that's, um, there's a country song that, that, that says that. I wouldn't that. know that. You, well, <laughs> converted one of these days. There, but that love is the greatest of these, right? Um, I, it's the Alan Jackson song about, the ni- about 9-11. He's faith, hope, faith and charity and love, and love is the greatest, or something like that. Maybe I don't know country. <laughs> but... One of them that I think is over, maybe maybe we maybe we overlook it too often is this this idea of empathy. We we draw often we go to to Alma chapter seven and we talk about the fact that maybe the greatest miracle of the atonement is the fact is is that somehow during that period of of suffering and sacrificing the Savior experienced what we experience. And that is, it's the one thing that draw people to Christ is his ability to understand them. And, and in this case, you have this experience of Paul where Paul is clearly looking at the, the situation through their, through a lens he's looked before. And that, that empathy or that connection gives him a Christ-like love that I don't know that I could have. And don't you think that's what makes it so much easier for him to be forgiving? Yeah. And I really think that same thing about Christ. Why is he so forgiving? Because he knows you. Mm-hmm. Well, first of all, he knows that you and I need a ton of it. Yeah. But also that he, he really understands that you've got to have this where you're coming from. And, and I love that connection here with, with Paul that he understands. Why can I be patient with him? Because well, I know him. Yeah. And so it's easy to be patient with him. Um, one last thought. I find it interesting. You see that you see the attitude of the Romans. Verse 24, they're, okay, so 23, they cast off their clothes and they throw their dust in the air. I've, in listening to another podcast earlier this week, I'm, I'm wondering about the idea of, you think back to Abraham when he's grief stricken, Mm -hmm. what what does he do with his clothes? Rends them. He rends them. And what does he do with the dust? It's on top of him. I've, I... I'm fascinated with Jared Halverson is the one that pointed this out because I've read this. I'm like, they cast off their clothes and they threw their dust in the air. Like, what's this? Like, it's LeBron. <laughs> I, it's he, not LeBron. He points out the idea that maybe this is like them trying to look Abrahamic mm. and and feigning Grief. indignation. Mm. I can't believe you do this, but I'm not about to rip my clothes because <laughs> this is a nice coat. <laughs> Like, I'm not going to ruin my nice Jordans for <laughs> And then, and I don't want to get my hair dirty because we got to go, you know, we're going to synagogue later. So, but I've got to, I've got to, and so let's throw it in the air and maybe not get it quite honest. And, and let's not ruin a we'll good take garment. It off. Let's take it off and we'll set it aside. And therefore, and, and just so much like, like so many other aspects of their religious worship, they come close, but it's not really in their hearts. 
they're still so worried about the clothes and they're still worried about the hair that if this really was what they thought it was, if Paul was really committing this, uh, this act of, um, what's the word? Blasphemy. Blasphemy. And, it, and, and they were as concerned about Jesus as they pretend to be, or Jehovah as they pretend to be. They wouldn't give a second thought to their clothes or to their hair getting messy. Or it's, it's like so much of their religion. It's just everything's there but the heart. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in 24, the chief captain wants to know. He's like, I've got to know why they're about to kill you. So in order to figure out why I'm, they're going to kill you, Let's I'm going to scourge you. <laughs> that is such a Roman yep. attitude. Instead of just ask. No, we're gonna we're gonna torture you first, and then they find out that the centurion goes up to the chief captain and says, <clears throat> "He's a citizen." Uh, I don't know if you missed this part of his talk because you don't speak Hebrew, but he was <laughs> born in he, he's born in Rome, and the chief captain realizes he just about lost his head because mm-hmm. he was going to scourge, uh, he was going to scourge an untried Roman. Um, so instead, then let's. I'll bring him downstairs and we're going to bring the chief priests and we're going to have them. We're going to in, we'll put Paul in front of these people that we're going to kill him and then we'll find out why. I just, I find that there's an insight to Rome and to the, to the Roman approach, at least the Roman approach to Jews. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, all right, chapter 23. I want to keep going. I want to go to 26. That's what I'm going to skip over. You go I, we don't, okay. if, if you have a couple no, other things I, you want to point I, out. I love King Agrippa. I love I the, do too. I love this, and and it all kind of leads up to this moment. This is this is really what it's going yeah. for. And, and Felix, um, he, he's only a procurator, and I had to look up how to say that earlier this week. Uh-huh. So usually I'm like procreator, procreator. <laughs> and I'm like that can't be it. <laughs> <laughs> so procurator, um, and it's basically a guy who deals mostly with finance, um, which explains why um, Felix is waiting for Paul to bribe him. Because everybody else probably bribes him. Mm-hmm. Because they're like, well, you got into this job because you like money. Mm-hmm. And so let me give you some money and you'll let me off the hook. And so Felix kind of keeps him around and he's waiting for a bribe and it never happens. And so he sends him off. That's kind of a, a an overview of some of this. Um, Festus takes over for Felix. Mm-hmm. So in the Bible dictionary, you can look up. They have like little paragraphs about both these guys just to, to keep them straight. Um, and if you're teaching this to, to people, it may be good to even outline on the board. Okay, Festus was this guy. He's second. Okay, Felix was this guy. He was first. They both had the same job. This is and just highlight a couple of things about them as you're going through the story, so you can remember. Okay, yeah, this is this guy. This is this guy. Um, one little side note that's kind of funny. Um, when I go out to eat like fast food places, and they're like, "All right, what's your name?" I'm very seldom give my real name, not because I'm worried about being famous or something, because I'm definitely not. <laughs> but usually, it's something that I've studied lately in the scripture. So if I'm reading like. You know, okay. acts. I'll be like, I'm Paul. <laughs> Have you told somebody? So this is the best. Bestest. No, not recently. My, one of oh. my really good friends. I think he watches this quite a bit. His name's Greg. I won't give his last name, and I won't give it anything else. But he's grown up a lot since high school. Every time we went to Arctic Circle, his name was Festus. That's what they always do. And so they'd be like, Festus, your ice cream is ready. And he'd be like strolling up, and everyone's looking around like. What who parent named, named, their, who kid named their kid Festus? And we all laughed. And looking back, I'm sure it's because that's what we were studying in seminary that uh-huh. year. He thought it was funny. And so that was his Arctic Circle name every time we went to that's Arctic Circle awesome. to get ice cream. So it was Festus. Anyways, Festus is a bad guy. So yep. my friend Greg should know that Festus was a bad guy. Maybe he knew it back then. I don't know. Um, but uh, this is in 26. This is where um, Paul is um, – is going to be starting to talk to Festus and King Agrippa the second. Mm-hmm. So there's two Agrippas. King Agrippa the second, um, King Agrippa the first wasn't uh, in charge as much uh, as was his uncle and aunt, who are the ones who killed John the Baptist. Okay, so that's on that same exact line right there. And his grandpa is Herod the Great, who killed all of the children when Jesus was born. This is that line, and and King Agrippa the second has a chance to be the best Herod. And he blows it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely Almost, blows it. Right? Almost. And Almost. so that's kind of the, the line. But but just for starters here, uh, I know we mentioned this briefly, but this is what I would point out if I was if I was to be teaching this. In verses 4 and 5, um, Paul mentions uh, kind of similar things. He says, uh, my manner of life from my youth, 
which was at the, the first among mine own nation at Jerusalem, know all the Jews, which knew me from the beginning, if they would testify, that after the most straightest sect of our religion, I lived a Pharisee. And you and I mentioned this on our last podcast, that being stubborn is only bad. If you're wrong. If you're wrong. And if you're stubborn and you're right, that's an okay thing. And, and that's, that's I, I, I would ask the question after reading verses 4 and 5, what is it in there that the Lord could use? And, and I think that's one of the key things to point out. I think it's key to point out that he can connect with the Pharisees. Mm-hmm. I think it's key to point out that he was born free as a Roman. So he can connect with Romans and has a citizenship in Rome. There are so many things about his background that the Lord can say, all right, let me use that, but let me point it in the right direction. There are so many qualities that members of the church have that they come from various backgrounds that the Lord can say, okay, maybe you're pointed in a wrong direction here, but let's get it right over here. Um, You have an ability to connect with people, but you're usually leading them astray. Let's Let's get you going the right way and and help you out. And there are so many talents that it just takes a little tweak and and pointing them in the right direction, it makes a world of difference. Our our four-year-old son, his name's Brian, and uh, there must Good be something crazy. It's Good a great name. name. There must be something crazy about Brian's Good though. Name. And this dude has so much energy. And when he first was getting into sunbeams, he was just like off the wall, like crazy. And and uh, um, the primary president um, quickly pointed out she has five bo- five boys of her own. And uh, she quickly realized that she's like Brian just needs a job. So on Sunday, she she's like he loves to help. He just needs like to be pointed in the right direction, and he's like, he's he's like, she's like, Brian, can you come help me with this? And he's like, yeah, he's so excited. His primary teachers have figured the same thing, that he just he just needs a little bit more, a little bit of attention, focusing the right way. Dude's all in, and and Paul has some similar way. Yep. So. Oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. Well, I was just going to go into the next part that uh, the, the next teaching idea that I would do is I would compare verses 9 to 11 with 13 to 18 and compare what was Paul's old mission, what's Paul's new mission. And and really, when you go and, and dig through uh, those verses 13 to 18, um, so 9 to 11 is the background, like I tried to kill him, I tried to persecute him. But listen to all these things, and I, I even want to read them here in 13 to 18. Listen for all of the things that, that Paul, is his new mission is supposed to do. He, he describes in 13 that he, he sees the vision, and 14 says, When we were all fallen to the earth, I heard a voice speaking unto me and saying in the Hebrew tongue, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And I said, Who art thou, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. But rise and stand upon thy feet. Now, before you keep going, I, I love in 14 where Paul says, We all fell down. And before Jesus says very much to him, he says, Stand up. Jesus Christ causes all people to rise when he interacts with them, when he calls them by the name, when he understands. All right, this is a great symbol. Saul, you have been living in the dust. You have been a dirty man. Get out of it when I'm talking to you. And by the way, we mentioned Alma earlier, the angel does the same thing. When the angel shows up, they all pass out, and he says, stand up. And it's almost a stand up when I'm talking to you type Mm -hmm. of a, okay. And then when he leaves, boom, they fall. Israel, get up out of the dust. This is... It's a beautiful, like, mm-hmm. this this image of the Lord saying, like, you don't belong there. You have been living below your means far too long. Be a better person. And here's what I'm asking you to do. And there's, by the way, that, that imagery and that power is just, I, it, it just strikes me. But this is what the Lord tells him to do. I have appeared unto thee for this purpose, to make thee a minister and a witness, both of, both of these things which thou hast seen, and of those things in the which I will appear unto thee delivering thee from the people and from the Gentiles unto whom now I send thee to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. And you can break that down and say, okay, what's his mission? And and then even just, I, I taught this last night, this is what I'd, I'd ask people, what's helped you make this change? Because this chapter is all about change. It's one man who changed and two guys who refused to. And so as you're looking through that, as we look at our own lives, what's helped you change to become a minister? What's helped you change to be a witness uh, of Christ? What's helped you change from darkness to light? What's helped you change from the power of Satan unto God? What's helped you obtain the forgiveness of sins? There's so many things in, in Paul's mission here that then would open up a great discussion with your family, with your class, if you're teaching this, or even just your personal ideas. What's helped you change? 
and, and become this person because Paul is one of those, once he's pointed the right way, he does not look back, mm-hmm. he, despite the persecution and everything that he's facing. And so those are some of my, uh, some teaching ideas, but also some things that I love in there. So one of the things that I, and, and you need to go through and, and identify some of these for yourself, but I think it's important to, as you're, as you're like, you're comparing the early mission, late mission, Acts 9 to Acts 22 to Acts 26. And what is it, what does he point out in those situations that it, it, for example, in 26, I think this is the only one he doesn't mention in 22. And I, I don't think he mentions it in nine as, as well, because it, it's not, it's, it's an account of the event as it's happening. But I find it interesting that in talking to King Agrippa, this is the only place that I think of where Paul says that Jehovah or Christ spoke to him in the Hebrew tongue Hmm. for somebody who grew up a straight Pharisee. It's interesting that he's speaking to him in the language of the Old Testament. Yeah. This is he's and and why point that out to 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 King Agrippa and not to the not to the Pharisees. And and as you identify some of these little these minor deviations, they're not deviations, but sometimes Paul sinks his anchor in different spots in the story or emphasizes different parts of the story in the question. So why emphasize that that this being speaks to him in the Hebrew tongue. Especially when he's talking to Festus, who's not, not Hebrew, but Agrippa is. He's, he's got that connection to Judaism still. Yeah, so I, I think that's, there's this, there's this connection. And then I think also, sometimes it's important to notice the differences, but also, what are the things that Paul hits every time? What are the things that he says that he points out? And number one, I think it's, I really think it's fascinating to see how Paul balances this. He doesn't, he's not, I don't know, ashamed. He doesn't shy away from the fact that, look, I wasn't a good person. I was persecuting the Christians. And, and there's something I think for all of us that we, as we're going to move through this repentance process, I think, I think we need to have a healthy perspective of who we were before. And I think it also goes back to this idea of the beauty of the empathy of Christ. I believe that Christ is even more empathetic with us than we can be. I think sometimes we, whether it's a spiritual incline that we that we get up, and then we look back on our old selves and we feel embarrassed or ashamed, and 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 we cut ourselves down before who we because of who we were. The beauty of Christ and the atoning and his his atonement and his power to cleanse is that he understands not just what you were but why you were. And, and because of that why factor, he can look on us without condemnation. It's the woman, it's the woman caught in adultery. We all, you know, we all speculate about, well, why, why, where's the man and how, whatever role was she set up? What Christ knows all of that perfectly. So he can look at her without condemnation. And like you said, get her to stand up from that and, and not just stand up from that, but also move forward from that. Hmm. Um, and I think as you look at the at how, do the same thing with you can do the same thing with the first vision. A lot of people get caught up in the differences, and there's some things to be learned from the differences. But focus on spend some time studying the four accounts of of the first vision, and focus on what's the same. Uh, what is the one thing that Paul hits every single time? His answer: Who are you? Paul is quick to point out he had no idea who this was that was speaking to him. And the response is always the same. I am Jesus, who you persecute us. There's this, when you go to persecute Ananias or any of the people that are with him in Damascus, you're persecuting me. Um, there's this connection between Christ his, and his church. And Paul makes that emphasis every single time. And one of the other things that I, I just looked as you, as you were talking real fast, in all of them, um, the Lord calls Saul by name. Mm-hmm. That's like one of the first things that he says to him. And and you have to assume that what is getting Paul through all this persecution and difficulty, it's that he knows the Lord loves him and knows him. And notice which name he gives him. Mm-hmm. He doesn't call him by the name he's going to get. It's still who he is. It's Saul. This is President Uchtdorf, right? The Lord deals with you where you're at. Yeah. Where you're at. The Lord's not waiting for you to get to somewhere. The Lord's not waiting for Saul to become Paul so he can work with him then. The Lord shows up and says, Saul, 
your soul. Yeah. Your soul. Uh, it's, I, I love that. And, and the an invitation that he gives him. So in 18, he says, so that you can have the inheritance. He's talking about the celestial kingdom. Mm-hmm. He says, help. your job is to help people find their inheritance. They're living below their means. What was his old mission? He thought he was helping people. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't know. He's trying to help all the Jews was- by persecuting Christians because he's like, all right, let me save the Pharisee sect here. And he's trying to really, I, I really think, be a blessing to Israel. The Lord's saying, you weren't, but I will help you be a blessing to Israel <laughs> to help them get their true inheritance. And in 20, at the end of that, he says that they should repent and turn to God. And I love that idea that um, Elder uh, um, President Nelson talked about repentance a, a few conferences ago. But uh, in 2009, Elder Anderson talked about the same principle. I wrote this in my scriptures. He said, quote, when we sin, we turn away from God. When we repent, we turn back toward God. The invitation to repent is rarely a voice of chastisement, but rather a loving appeal to turn around and to return toward God. It is the beckoning of a loving father and his only begotten son to be more than we are, to reach up to a higher way of life, to change and to feel the happiness of keeping the commandments. That was October 2009. And that's exactly what we've talked about today is that idea to be better, to rise up to who you should be, not who you are, and do works meet for repentance. And then in 22, I love the phrase that he says, having therefore obtained help of God, I keep going. He says, I got God's help. Why am I on this path? Because of the grace of God. Because he sent his son who died for me. That's why I keep going. That's why I deal with all the persecution. That's why I'm forgiving. That's why I, I'm like, great, I got beat again? Sweet. That's why I, we got kicked out of another city? No big deal. There's more cities. Mm-hmm. That he understands who Christ is. He understands that Christ knows him. And it is this power that pushes him forward. So he goes on. The other thing that I find that, that, that connects all of the apostles, and, and one of, I think, the most, one of the critical patterns or, or teachings from the book of Acts. And when you look at what all of the apostles are teaching, this is, it's the, it's the acts of the apostles, right? What, what is it that they're teaching? There's this chain of, of every one of them, whether it's Peter or John or Paul, they're always talking and teaching the, 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 the resurrection. Mm-hmm. And so 23, that Christ should suffer and that he should be the first that should rise from the dead and should show light unto the people and to the Gentiles. And then you, and, and verse 24 he says, and Paul's going to address this later on in one of his letters, but he's and point out that people who live after a carnal way can't, or a worldly way, can't understand spiritual things. Mm-hmm. And Festus is a great example of that. Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, thou art beside thyself, much learning doth make thee mad. You're out of your mind. There are some things that you can't understand without the Spirit. Mm-hmm. The, and, and Bruce R. McConkie said that those are the mysteries of the kingdom. It's not where Kolob is. The mysteries of the kingdom are those things that require the Holy Ghost and the spirit of revelation to understand. And the resurrection is one of those things. Mm-hmm. If you talk about rising from the dead, all of a sudden you're in the world of sci-fi. And, and it turns out even in Paul's day, that was crazy. Mm-hmm. And I think a great question to ask is, because he's talking to Festus and Agrippa, um, that's really the two main focuses of this chapter. Um, and, and as I mentioned earlier, you have Paul who changed and Festus who won't change and Agrippa who's said who's almost, right? Yeah. It's like so you have these three different things. And, and I think it would be a great question to ask yourself, your class, your family. Um, do you like change? Do you accept change? Like depending what it is, I'm one of those people that I could eat marshmallow mateys for breakfast for 30 years and it doesn't bother me. Like, no big deal. I could eat a peanut butter and honey sandwich most days for lunch. lunch. Great. No problem. Um, And and so, like, I I probably am not somebody who's like, oh, let's change it up. I'm okay with change. So I'm a little bit more in the middle. But there are some people who are like, I hate it. Some people are like, I love it. And I I just use this example that uh, um, uh, somebody I taught with uh, did this as a seminary teacher training. He said, I have a new way for you guys to tie your shoes. Now, if somebody told you. I have a new way for you to tie your shoes. Would you do it? I probably would. I'm, would I, you really do it? Good for you. I probably would. I'd be like, good for no, you. I, I'm like, no. <laughs> do you know why? I've been tying my shoes for a while. I'm okay. And he's like, I promise your shoes will never be untied again. I'm like, uh, 
I double knot them and I slide them on anyways. Like I don't. The only shoes I tie are basketball shoes. Like so I don't tie anything when else. When it comes to tying shoes, in our family, like I can think of three different ways <laughs> people in our family tie their shoes. <laughs> Like I've got, so I I do what I just call the traditional way, but I've got a son who actually makes the bunny ears first. Is that you? That's me. Make bunny the ears. bunny ears first, and then goes around uh-huh. after the bunny. So I I I don't even know how to describe how I do it. I make the cross, make one bunny ear go around, right. and tuck That's it what in the most loop, do, yeah. tie it, and then I. One of my sons does something totally different, but so so this new way, and this isn't about tying shoes, but he you you wrap it twice, so you know when you like cross it once and then pull it tight, yeah. you go twice, so you go once, go through again, pull it tight, you do everything twice, and he says your shoes will never be untied. By the way, I've done it, and it works. It does work, and like hiking and stuff, you know when you're walking yeah. a bunch and mm-hmm. hiking shoes, like you don't use them, and so it'll be like, or you're hunting and your hunting shoes will come untied, and you're like I gotta retie them again. So if I'm like taking time, sometimes I do it. But I'm not somebody that, like, in my 30s, I'm going to change how I tie my I shoes. And, and so I think just talking about that idea of, okay, we're not talking about changing tying your shoes. You're talking about changing your mindset, Lifestyle, changing yeah. a life, changing what you, like, what you're willing to believe, changing that you're going to believe and trust profits. That I think it's important to understand that change is a choice, not a reaction. And I think there's too many times in life that, that people, when things are happening to them or something gets announced in conference or something like that, that they're just like, well, I just got to react to the change instead of being proactive and saying, I, I will, I'll, I'll go first. I know that the Lord and the spirit is working on me. So I'm going to like, Paul still has to make the choice to change. The Lord appears to him. Yes. But he still decides I'm going to go seek out an Ananias. I'm still going to go into all of these cities. I like the Lord doesn't appear to him every day. That was a one. That was an event. He appears to him a couple of times, but it's an event. It's not a, a daily occurrence for him. He's still making the decision to change. What's getting in the way for Festus? Well, I, I think he's closed-minded. Yeah. I think he's proud. I think he's set in his ways. I think he's worried about everybody else watching him because he's the procurator of of Rome right here. So I, I think there's a bunch of that. And then when you get down here to Agrippa, it's it's so cool in the story. Paul almost just blows off Festus. Festus just calls him crazy, and he just he's like, no, I'm well, not. I'm and then not, he just keeps going. Not talk, I'm not here to talk to you. Yeah, exactly. And he goes to Agrippa, and he says, King Agrippa, believest thou the prophets? I know that thou believest. Again, he understands who Agrippa is, his connection to Judaism. He knows that he's an Old Testament guy. So he's pointing this out. He says, I know that you believe in the prophets. This is what the prophets have pointed to. And... Of course, you have the famous line, then Agrippa said unto Paul, almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. Isn't that one of the saddest lines in Scripture? At, almost. And, and there's, the, there's that quote that President Monson used to say that uh, of, of word and pen, the saddest words are what might have been. I'm, I'm not yeah, yeah, doing it right, but it's something like right. that. But it, it's something that he's quoted. He didn't make up. It's an, old, it's an old poem. But that absolutely is right. Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. And uh, one of my students last night pointed this out that, there's two ways to look at this. This is like Agrippa really being like, oh, you almost had me. Like he, he's close. He wants to change, but he doesn't. The other one is like, yeah, almost. You almost had me. And he could be – and when you look at a lot of the other translations of the Bible, mm-hmm. uh, there's none of them that phrase it like the King James. All of them are like, nope, King Agrippa didn't believe. He didn't believe. He didn't. And it's all this skeptical, not a oh, – I was on the fence about it. But here's the beautiful thing about almost – if you almost pulled your parachute cord when you're skydiving, you're still gonna hurt. Yeah. If you almost brush your teeth, still getting cavity. Yeah. So if you almost go to church, if you almost partake of the sacrament, if you almost go on a mission, if you almost make temple covenants, if you almost keep the commandments, well, you almost get a blessing. Mm-hmm. Which means you don't. Yep. You didn't go to church. You didn't go to the temple. You didn't get the sacrament. You didn't keep the commandments, and you're not going to receive the blessings of it. Almost doesn't count. It doesn't get you there. So whether Agrippa is really on the fence about it or whether he's just like, yeah, almost you had me, it doesn't matter. It's the same result. He really did not change. Mm-hmm. I've wondered about the role of Festus in this. I I wonder if Festus Doesn't he die there? two years later or is that Felix? I don't know. All right, you keep going. I'll no, look you for fight, You figure it out. Uh, I'm wondering about the the influence of this. I, as, as King Agrippa says, almost – um, Paul says, I know you have, I know you believe, and I wonder if Festus isn't there. If it's just King Agrippa, is he willing to admit to something that Paul, it seems like Paul has had some kind of a prompting that, look, you believe. 
Now, whether you believe to the degree of you're going to act on it in righteous faith or I think his his great grandpa believed, right? Herod believed enough to kill all regular the Jews, grandpa or just grandpa. Yeah, I think. Mm-hmm. Believed enough to kill all the kids. Yeah. So I, I'm not sure. What, I'm not sure if this is a, a faithful. You you believe well enough great to grandpa. great grandpa. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if you believe enough to act in faith and make these covenants, or if you believe enough to try and persevere, uh, or trying to to protect your your power. But to me, it seems like as I read this 27, Paul's like, I it's I I read 27 as Paul saying. The Spirit's telling me that you believe. And I wonder in verse 28, if Festus hasn't said in 24, you're mad. Crazy. All of a sudden now, if Agrippa sides with Paul, he's mad too. Mm-hmm. And I just, I think as, as, as a dad of teenagers, one of the things I want to talk to my kids about as we, as we pull these verses apart is, are the influences in your life helping you act in faith or do they mock faith do they mock the things that are that are uh do they mock those things that are wholesome and righteous and pure uh in a way that it's going to make standing up for things that are wholesome and righteous and pure difficult for you because if you're standing in a group that's making fun of i've I've done this before. I have some of the best in-laws in the world. Um, but when you know when you talk about in-laws, there's kind of this accepted no, uh, part of our culture that says we don't. It's like, a joke. We yeah. make fun of our in-laws, mm-hmm. right? And and I've made a point to when when people make jokes about in-laws, I've I've made a point to be very intentional and say, oh no, not me. I have I my in-laws are awesome. And and it's interesting. You have to. I've found I have to be very intentional of that in those situations. Um, similar with marriage. I remember growing up, and I, I didn't get married right away after coming home from a mission. And and I would be in that group it, as the as as the single group got a little older. There was kind of a, a norm to make fun of marriage more. And and especially those that got married younger than us. And I wasn't super old when I got married. I, I was. 24 when I got married, but I, I, I started to notice a trend and, and having spent some time with the young single adults over the last, last seven years, I've noticed the trend is real. That as, as young adults get farther away from maybe a perceived acceptable marriage, that the acceptable behavior then is to, to be cynical or critical or sarcastic about marriage. And, and you use this great word as you're talking, being intentional. I think change in our lives as we turn to the Savior has to be intentional. I think when we're talking about, you know, um, marriage or, you know, commandments, things in the scriptures that are important to us, we need to be intentional about it. We need to be intentional about showing love to other people. We need to be intentional about keeping the commandments. Otherwise, I mean, we're just these passive people. We're like, well, mm-hmm. if it's easy and it's coming my way, then yeah, I'll do it. And and that's that's not enough for discipleship, especially if you're looking at this example of Paul. Yep. And I, I just think as we... As my conversation with my, especially with Instagram, within in a world of memes, in a world of of videos that are meant to do nothing but entertain, and usually entertain means make fun of. Are the influences, are the are the are the accounts you're following, making it easier or more difficult to stand up for things that are righteous, things that are holy, things that are pure, things that are sacred. Yeah. And, and can I just point out, too, and, and it, it was this way, at least with uh, Agrippa, the generation ahead of all, Agrippa II, they're all appointed by Romans. Mm-hmm. They're kings because of Roman, and, and they have their uh, um, their little quadrants of, of Jerusalem and of Israel, I should say Israel, that they're in charge of, uh, their tetrarch, um, because of the Romans. He's relying on people like Festus to keep him going. Mm -hmm. So why doesn't he, well, he has to rely on him. If, if we're so worried, then you brought up social media. If we're so worried about clicks and likes and followers and being accepted online, well, we're in trouble because then we're catering to the click. Yep. And, and, and that can be a dangerous thing as you can see here with Agrippa. Yep. 
Yeah. Now, the one thing in favor of Agrippa, it, it, the chapter ends with him saying, look, I, there's, he's, he's, not, there's, he's not done anything wrong. You know, it, it, maybe in the worst case scenario, you, you've got Festus's argument up above that you're mad, but you've not done anything worthy of death. And so Agrippa says, let him go. Unless he had already appealed to Caesar. Mm-hmm. And part of the reason that my understanding is that Paul doesn't want to go back to Jerusalem is those are the people who just beat the heck out of him. Mm-hmm. That if he goes back there, he's probably going to be killed. So he appeals to Rome. He's also fulfilling the prophecies about, okay, you're a Roman. This is your job. This. We've got to get you to go talk to Caesar and talk to kings. Well, check the list. This is, yeah. He's doing what he's supposed to do. Going back to Jerusalem and being free is not part of Paul's plan. Mm-hmm. And yeah. he's willing to accept it. So, um, 27? Yeah, anything you want to hit in these next two? I, here's, I guess my thought is, is if you knew you were going to your end, I wouldn't get on the boat. No, yeah, kidding. like really, like, um, I, I just I think about I, not just Latter Day Saints martyrs, um, I, Joseph and Hiram going to that, um, that experience at Carthage Jail. We were we were there in 2019. I was there last we were week. There last, a little more recently. Yeah, literally a few days ago. Um, that experience for me and and for some of my kids, as we talked about oh. it later, the the experience at Carthage is is powerful. Um. There's this interesting. I I learned, and I didn't I didn't realize it that they leave Nauvoo in the morning, but they don't get to Carthage until that night, and and some of it has. They Joseph, go back again. Yeah, Joseph. They get partway there, and there's some concern about the Nauvoo Legion, and so Joseph goes back to say, "Look, you guys give stay up your arms, here. Just and give just up their don't. guns." And then he and then he turns back and he goes and he and he goes back and meets back up with them, and I think it's interesting. Joseph has to make that trip twice. He says goodbye to his family twice. And and this, I'm going as a lamb to the slaughter. Joseph and Hiram knew where they were going and knew that they were never coming back. Mm-hmm. Um, I think about other Christian martyrs, um, those that have stood up for um, w- for the translation of the Bible and, and for those that have, have stood up against, you know, what was both a political and a religious power to say something's wrong here and and to do it in with Paul-like conviction, to, to march, you know, an Abinadi and those kinds of those kinds of ind- individuals who, uh, a William Tyndale, yeah. I, I I look back at those individuals and think about where we are and what we have because of them. Um, this is Paul getting on the boat. Mm-hmm. It's like I know where I'm going and I know where it ends. I know I know where this journey leads. Um, in talking to my oldest son is terrified of the idea of eternity. He just, the idea of eternity just drives him nuts. And, and I, you know, as we have these conversations, one of the things I say is, do you think it's possible there's something as a mortal you don't understand about eternity that would make it a little bit easier, more palatable when you (laughs) get there? And, And he smiles, I guess, but there are some things you would never do if you didn't have an eternal perspective. And I think for Paul, getting on the boat is one of them. Yeah. I think for a young man at, at, at 17, 18 years old to make the decision to go into a mission field, I, we're, we're, the world is let, heading down a path of, I almost think that without an eternal perspective, we may be heading into a place that marriage doesn't make sense if you don't have an eternal perspective. If you don't understand the resurrection and the eternal nature of families, marriage doesn't make sense in this world. Um, as you talk about, you know, we talk about, seeing things through the lens of other people. And I've got two boys that, um, I've got a, a, a 22 year old and a, or a 21 year old. No, 22 year old now. Whoa. Um, a 22 year old. And I've got a son that's 19, almost 20 and or coming up on 20. And, uh, they're both, you know, you talk to them about marriage and it's a very different conversation than what it was talking about, about marriage with people in my generation. Um, or an even more different a generation before me. And if you look at what is happening to marriage across the world and the, and the, the black eye that marriage has given, you understand it. I think you, Paul's ability to get onto the boat and go to Rome knowing where it's taking him, 
for me is is an example of why we need to have why we have to have a uh, an eternal perspective in facing things that in a world in our world maybe stop making sense yeah i think just a, a connecting thought and probably a concluding thought for me is is this and uh 27 acts 27 um they know the boat's going to wreck and it does and they're going to kill them all and stuff but before all that paul's warned him he says this is going to be a bad voyage this isn't going to work <laughs> um but this is what paul shares with them he says um uh fear not paul thou must be brought before caesar and lo god hath given thee all them that sail with thee so he's it's a prophecy the lord gives him and then this is what he says wherefore sirs be of good cheer for i believe god that it shall be even as it was told me. And I love that that phrase that Paul's like, I believe God. Now, I can't even imagine that, you know, all of these other people listen to him. They, uh, as the boat, it gets cra- uh, crashed and then the back end breaks open and they're all abandoning ship. They've got to be thinking like, didn't he just tell us? <laughs> That it was going to be okay. This isn't okay. (laughs) And I think there's a lot of trust when it comes to the Lord's timing. There's trust when it comes to marriage, as you mentioned, and trust when it comes to keeping the commandments that I I, I believe God, and that's why I'm happy. That's I know it's going to be okay. And the end of of Paul's life as he continues to share the gospel up until he dies, he really just saying, like, I'm happy. This is I I trust God, and I know things are going to work okay. And I think that's one of the big things that can help us deal with changes and uncertainty that comes in life because we know God's in charge. I think it's a great ending note. Love it. Believe God. Thanks. Well, thanks again for joining us on Take a Second for Come Follow Me. Brother Black and myself want to emphasize that in this episode or any other episode, there's nothing that we've said that is meant to or can in any way be interpreted as the official doctrine or policy or practice of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Uh, Brother Black and myself simply represent two guys that enjoy talking about Scripture and and on our own life experiences as it relates to the Gospel of Jesus Christ and, and hope that in sharing some of our thoughts and, and insights, but certainly our personal opinions and nothing more, that uh, maybe it might open up the Scriptures a little bit to you. So thanks again for joining us on Take a Second. And we will see you in our next episode.